Welcome to Breaking Cyber Barriers. I'm your host, Liz Faginas, cybersecurity recruiter, certified executive coach, trusted advisor, and partner of Philip Madison, a woman-known cybersecurity search firm with over 20 years of experience. My podcast will delve into the world of cybersecurity, uncovering trends and exploring its limitless potential. So join me to hear how industry leaders share their experiences and strategies for success. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Breaking Cyber Barriers. Today, our guest is Angelo Wonka. Angelo is the head of executive advisory services at Goliath Cybersecurity Group and is also the CISO principal and owner of Longo Cyber Technologies, which specializes in tailor-made cybersecurity and technology consulting services. So welcome, Angelo. Hi, Liz. How have you been? Great, great, great. So you and I have known each other for many years, and we've been in the cybersecurity space for 20-plus years. So, you know, I'd like to start with if you can provide specific examples of how the responsibilities and priorities within the CISO role have shifted in response to the evolving cybersecurity landscape. So, yes, I can. Here's the thing about that CISO role. Started, obviously, with something very rudimentary. Firewalls and antivirus software. People, that's all people knew about it. It was just simply something that kept people out and kept the machines safe. But today, obviously, things have changed. Things have moved on. And CISOs have become business leaders in their own right. They have to be visionary leaders who look at the organization strategically to try to really bring home an overall information security posture that permeates the entire infrastructure. So it's not just a simple tool uh, deployment and everything is fine. They have to construct environments that safeguard the integrity and the resilience of data. But even that is in the face of remote work challenges have caused us to have to change our methodologies and and focus on different strategies and different ways to get the information to those to those employees and and or executive leadership we become focused on this the the compliance aspect focused on business regulation data privacy and the delivery of that across many different areas of the organization uh, previous roles people in my role uh, would never even would talk to a, the legal side. They would never even have a conversation. Now we're embedded within legal teams, uh, trying to, to help them deliver structure within their legal documents that helps protect the organization. The responsibilities have just changed throughout that entire timeline to now include stuff as far as monitoring the physical security of the organization. Um, and we have to build diverse teams. We have to manage against diverse adversaries that are in the digital realm. And we have to empower the business to continuously um, not only protect themselves, but make sure their business processes stay operational. So when you look at us, you're looking at those extended, the extended responsibilities. You're looking at strategic collaboration. You're looking at having to be agile and adaptable. You got to be able to focus 
on communication with the organization. You can't just be a silo that only doesn't talk to anybody. You kind of foster a security culture within the organization. The one of the major points of this is the fact that the organizations need to be able to say for themselves, people within the organization down to whomever is in the organization that is handling any portion of data or access needs to be able to understand that security is their job too. You can't be all technical anymore. There's non-technical skills we have to deliver. We have to be able to, again, not only communicate um, our, our plans, but our vision. And some CISOs aren't equipped or haven't been equipped with this in the past and have to learn this and, and be able to articulate this to, to business executives. Business executives, on the other hand, do not speak tech. They do not speak security. So that's been a, an important hill we've had to climb and get over to be able to articulate what we need, why we need it, and, and what we're bringing to the table. You know, we, it's direct influence, direct with the reports to the boards have helped us get to that place. But we've had that learning spot to try to get to that place because we were shoved into the role and had to get there to, at the right time. We have to innovate. It can't just be lock everything down. We have to we have to figure out different ways to make things more secure. Uh, we got to balance what are the risks and what are the rewards for our company. And we can't just by, by virtue of the fact say that we're here, that all is well, that we'll protect everything. There has to be an embedded culture, like I mentioned before. And lastly, you know that diversification of that role has brought many people whom are not traditional tech people into these security roles and they've had to learn tech after the fact they've had to learn security and that merger of these two sides has created a you know probably a bit of controversy at times but i think everybody's leveling out to a point where people know that it's not a security manager anymore it's a strategic leader who's delivering on many different facets like security management risk mitigation, compliance, fostering security consciousness in that culture, and transforming the, the entire culture to, to help them safeguard all those digital assets. So there's a lot of threats and we need to deliver. So, and thank you for that. That's very insightful. Um, can you share your journey in your career and what you've had to do to adjust to those changes? that you described? Certainly. You know, I was, <laughs> early in my career, I tried to not be in IT at all. I tried to fight it. I, no matter what I did, I got pulled back in. Uh, I've got business degrees. I got an MBA with the pure intention of not being part of this industry. Little did I know I was setting myself up for that eventual role, roles that will basically be embedded in this combination of tech and non-tech thought process. When you look at it, it's technology is something you have to have a, a desire and a knack for, for the most part. And when you try to, when you try to look at the desire portion, the, the knack has to also come, come there. But there's a, there's a point where you have to decide what you're going to do with that, that little ball of wax you've created. Are you going to create something that's, you know, something that's going to be useful for what you're doing, or are you going to, you know, break it down and try again? And I took what I have, had already had and built it up to a place wherein I've, I've created a 
technological management ideal for myself that enables me to not only communicate the technology to those who don't understand technology, but also the risks involved in doing things that are that cause problems. When you look at that, that building occurred over time. That was not instantaneous. I was fighting to be in IT, be out of IT, and and then ha and eventually gave up and said, "Okay, I guess I'm an IT guy." And then when I found security, I found out that yeah, I'm really a security guy who's who's really focused on delivering that. But that happened after many different roles from being the guy who was under the desk, plugging in stuff into the wall to, to the point of going out and setting policy for large organizations that it didn't happen overnight. It happened from a point of view of learning IT, learning security, and then from there applying it in, in a managerial point of view. And certifications are great. They're, they really do have a way to measure something that somebody has learned but they're just a measure that shows that somebody has been someplace and has done something. The reality as they progress and get to a, a, a larger role, they have to learn new skills that are non-technical. Every time you move up into management skills, there's a lot of non-technical things that you learn. You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to understand you know, what's going on in people's, um, people's lives, mentalities, and how they want and how they do things and deliver to get the best out of them. And to lead people in such a way, you need to be able to say that you have been there, one, two, you're willing to help, and three, you, you get them the tools they need to, to do the job that is needed. Without that, people can't deliver and you will not be a successful manager. You can be the greatest technologist, uh, technologist that you can be, but you have to be able to deliver on those those principles that that to to deliver people the tools they need in a way that they understand so that they and in a in a way that they can deliver in a timeline that is reasonable without that you're you're setting yourself up for failure mm, interesting so you know, you talked about some of the challenges faced by CISOs uh, that differ from the past. So getting down to the strategies, what do you feel and believe are necessary for them to stay ahead of emerging threats? Well, there's a lot of new technologies, but adaptability is one huge thing that a, a CISO needs. They have to be able to look at themselves and say, I don't know that and be able to learn that or find somebody who does know that and is able to ask them questions to help them address their ignorance. Because without knowing what you're ignorant about, you can't be you can't get smart um, about those things. So when you start looking at some of those places where we have um, where we have kind of fallen off and don't know it, older CISOs may not have cloud security experience, may not have even cloud experience. They're learning cloud as we're implementing it. And to be frank, that may come not only from the security side, but that may also be from the IT side where they're learning that new technology that, you know, hey, cloud, it solves all issues. It's the SAB that makes everybody, everything nice. That reality is the fact that that is not is not the case. It, in fact, it can make things more complicated. People don't realize that you actually need to secure your cloud 
just as much as you do your internal infrastructure, you know, but finding those experts and getting the right people, getting the right advice and getting the right talent is all part and parcel of that. Also, transparency. You got to be clear with not only the people you're working with, but the executive teams, where everybody's at, what's going on, and future tense. They need to understand where, what they're signing up for, what risks they're playing, and how they can deliver on those risks, or how you can mitigate those risks, I should say. So the reality is when you're looking at the future, you can't look at it from the perspective of just looking at it a few days in, in, in the advance. You need to look at years out and what things may be occurring that you need to take a, you know, take security investment now to get your organization that framework to build up and be a stronger base that helps you address these things easier in the future. That comes to security by design. If you start building with that firm framework, you know, you can then build out a better overall product. If you start thinking that way, that that allows you as an organization to really look at the at the overall um, product and say, okay, since we started this way, how do we make it secure over here in these different areas where we want to go? Rather than just thinking of bolt-on design that allows people some new, you know, bell and whistle on their product, service, data review, etc. You look at it from the point of view of what security issues it, it will be introduced by adding this stuff to the to the uh, products, such as what supply chain, um, uh, how am I extending my supply chain? What suppliers have access to what? How are they going to deal with the data? Where that comes into play? That comes back to that legal conversation, setting the framework in legal so that you're not behind the eight ball when you go and look for the, the data itself needs to be protected in, in a future state. So, hey, did we sign that DPA with that organization? Do we know what they're going to be doing with our or data, how that data is going to be accessed, who's going to access, where it's going to be accessed, how it's going to be deleted, and such. That's going to be an important portion to the future, building the framework by building the by building the foundation and building on that. Automation and technology is going to be huge. By no means are we going to be able to do anything without really getting ahead of that automation and technology to build that into the process, to understand there are things that people need to be able to do to, in order to, you know, in order to take action. But those things need to be, once we have them established and understand what they are, automation is the only thing that's going to be able to keep up. Because without that, we're going to end up uh, reacting to events just like we did in the past. You might as well be, uh, you know, an old time, uh, was it uh, film noir uh, type of detective looking, looking through sheaves of paper, trying to find the one item that leads you to your suspect. The reality is it's there's so much data and there's so much stress and there's so many issues. You don't have time. You need to automate in order to get in any way to be able to keep up with this. This is what's going to keep us above water. Uh, threat intelligence and collaboration is another point of, of reference that we need to make. You know, threat intelligence is an important part of how a organization understands what's going on with their organization, with what's what their functional uh, vulnerability uh, set is which portion of their, um, their organization is is vulnerable to attack and how that vulnerability can be exploited and where it can be as to what threats are actually out there that can exploit them and or deliver on that. 
without having the threat intelligence, you're not going to be able to actually take real decisions other than the fact is we have to, you know, patch everything, secure everything, lock it down. Not saying those aren't good things, but in reality, it's not enough time and hours and or personnel to be able to deliver on it. So it's you need to prioritize and be able to do that to get to that better place. I mentioned data a few times and data governance is going to be is a is a large thing. I saw myself entering in the data privacy arena, you know, so that from data privacy, we have to look at data in a different way. We can't only be the caretakers of integrity, but we also have to be the caretakers of that confidentiality. And we also then have to be the, that confidentiality wraps into a secondary portion of us being the caretakers of what happens to that data when it leaves and, and who is utilizing that data throughout the organization or external to the organization. Uh, because of that is automations, the threat intelligence, the data governance, the resilience, et cetera, we're gonna have to use APIs to access things. We're not gonna be using standard um, access by some username and password most likely. There's gonna be more quick, more efficient ways to access third-party products. And so those things need also another point of concern when you're looking at a product. You need to be able to say the API has security as a priority and that you're utilizing it in a secure manner. And then I would say one of those other things that we're going to need to take into account is the unification of security functions. As we build through all these things, when we look at products and services that we're going to deliver and build on, we need to make sure that we look at it from the perspective of hey, information security is made up of many different functions, but we need to say, how many things does this product help us do? Does this help me get rid of another product over here so I can have more unified protection in one single place? I'm not going to say the, the, the bad word of, well, I will say it, uh, single pane of glass, <laughs> but I'm not going to refer to it as like anybody could sell you that. But the reality is if you can reduce the the console blur that you get from having 400 different consoles to needing to reference to a few, that in and of itself is going to be another thing that's going to save our minds, our gray hair. Um, the reality is that's, that's the only way to go. So when looking at that, how do I reduce risk and what kind of thing does this replace in my organization that I don't need to have in addition to our current one? So the reality is all of us face technology, business, and security at that intersection. And so we need to embrace many of these automation and functional technologies to help us get to a better place. Thank you for that. Let's go into your elaboration of how integration of AI, right, in cybersecurity has impacted the daily task of CISOs. So AI great buzzword. First off, I want to say I hate the term AI because <laughs> it, it truly is, unless somebody has somebody out there has something different, it's machine learning to the nth degree. And it's, it is tons of if-then statements, and I know I'm simplifying it. For all those out there that want to yell at me, I know I'm simplifying it. But let's just get back to it. It's not effectively intelligent it's not learning and becoming more smart it is but it can deliver creativity from the point of view of people who have programmed and had it be able to 
recognize many different pieces of data and bring them together. And I think that's going to be a huge portion of, of how we integrate and utilize those technologies. But with AI comes, AI, with AI benefits comes AI risk. And we need to balance those two together because without that, we're, we're, we're really not looking at, you know, what we can really do with AI. Uh, so privacy becomes uh, a, an issue alongside of the, the useful detections that for threat intelligence, rapid analysis, anomaly detection. I could foresee huge benefits to attaching a SIM to an AI that can understand what it's seeing, be able to interpret data and be able to pinpoint you know, relevant information from that. That's, that's a huge benefit because SIMs are filled with millions and billions of records of which no one can really go through unless it's after the fact. Oh, what happened to us? What, what, you know, what was the event that occurred that caused us this issue, this breach, this, this failure of system, et cetera. Then we go back to the SIM and say, oh, there it is right there. We should, why didn't we see it? But because it was buried 1 billion pound, 1 billion feet deep in, in event data, I, I don't, the, the system is broken in a way that you can't see it. So without AI, we're not going to be able to really take advantage of it. And I'm using that AI term. I realize that. <laughs> but the 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 secondary portion of privacy is a is the thing that we really need to take into consideration. So from a daily task point of view, uh, more threat detection and and quicker response. So we talk about that automation point of view. Yeah, you have to set what automation is, but without setting the without being able to read in and look at that data, it's really hard to to really say that this is the point that you need to change. You know. Do I change that firewall rule to block anything coming from the outside based upon this attack occurring, et cetera? That's the things that you need to take into account. Do I isolate that machine? Do I, um, you know, raise an alert based upon data movement? What 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 happens and what is being seen here? And I think that's going to be a really cool thing that comes from this. I don't think in any way this this obviates the need for expertise because someone needs to at some point determine if you ever tried to have you ever tried to dictate to siri and siri comes back with something completely wrong and you wonder and, and you accidentally hit send on that text message and go oh man what did i just do and then you realize you have to like go back and say no that's not what i meant to say this could definitely be visible in utilization of ais not saying it's doing voice or uh you know, voice to, to text interpretation, but the fact is it is interpreting data based upon how someone else programmed it. Flaws can be brought into play. So that that needs to be taken into account. So that being said, you know, the CISOs of today, many of them are struggling, you know, for the, with this AI thing. If you were to give advice, how would you direct them so that they can be effective in ensuring the privacy and security of sensitive data other than what you shared, if anything? So one of the things about this is one training. It's the, the basics of security. You gotta train your people. If they don't know what to what is a bad thing, then they're they're probably gonna do what they think is, you know, decently okay. But the problem is they may not know they're committing a bad thing. So train your people. 
secondarily uh, put controls into place that are meaningful. So let's look at controls that are going to help the person understand that this is bad. Data loss prevention is a good tool. It is not the, you know, it's not another silver bullet. Like AI is not a silver bullet. This is not a silver bullet either. It, But when done right, it can help build fences that help keep your data corralled. It is also subject to those those logging issues where you have a lot of events occurring and is anybody going to recognize that um so that has to be coupled with some type of something that makes sense at the top level something that makes data rise to the top whether it's actually actionable and usable and and wherein the dlp can take action that's that's another side of the coin but from the point of data privacy when you have sensitive data, one, you need to know what sensitive data is, who is who is affected by that sensitive data, who else can access that data, where can that data go, what and and do you have visibility into any of that, or is it a one-time thing where you're just seeing data flow one time or seeing a data scan that gives you a snapshot rather than a full picture of what's happening with that data? Third party, also another issue, but take that into account that these are some of the things that align with AI. AI is a third party. It is a third party tool that you're feeding data into and getting some type of response. What's going on with that data at that third party? Has anybody done a good review of that data, uh, that of that product to make sure what's going out there? Has anybody said, no, you need to restrict what you place in the AI? There's not, it's, and there's not a really a lot of blocks to sending up your current, you know, quarterly, re, um, uh, you know, uh, revenue statements that that haven't been reported yet, and dumping into AI for a better report. Nothing's really blocking that unless you put some good structure around what's going on. Nothing's blocking somebody from saying, "Hey, is this? You know, I found the salary structure of our organization. Is this, you know, in some way?" viable across the you know the world and am i making enough money so people see what's going on in the organization there's not you know there's not a lot of blocks other than the traditional blocks of data loss prevention legal uh controls and or you know controls around certain pieces of data the reality is unless you know where that data is and what you're doing with it that data can flow outside your organization and ai is just yet another place what can happen with ai though is it can be utilized possibly in other sets of data that expand beyond just your data, but maybe your data can be used other places. Now your data is replicated because someone uses AI and that in and of itself can cause a lot of problems because of now we've to- lost control from a privacy point of view. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. So I'm very curious and I've been asked this myself from a lot of CISOs, um, and other leaders of organizations, the incoming graduates that are going into cybersecurity, if you were to advise them, what would you what would you tell them to do? Yeah, so when you're entering the security field, you, you enter at a base level. Um, and, and with certain circumstances and stuff, you, you have opportunity to learn stuff and, and, and get stronger and get to a better place. But the issue still stands is, that you need to start off someplace. And where that is, it really depends upon your interest. Because we, it, when, in the past, we used to have, you know, one kind of thing, your insecurity. But now we have things where 
you can go into disaster response. Uh, you can go into um, you can go into uh, in Intel. You can go into uh, blue team, red team, purple team. You can go into uh, you know you know various different levels. And the issue at hand here is where do you start? Well, you know the basic levels are always a good building block because if you're going to go out and be part of an organization, it's good to have been someplace before you move up and, and get to a higher level. If you can say, yeah, I I've done, you know, some type of incident response. I've done some type of, you know, uh, you know, assessment delivery of a, of a, you know, some type of um, pen test or whatnot. And obviously I'm, yeah, you know, these are step measures that people can get to. Some things are scripted, some things are not. But being an auditor is not the same as being a pen tester. It's not the same as being an incident responder. It's not the same as, you know, uh, being a, a purple teamer or a red teamer. But I'm not saying there isn't a, or a blue teamer. There, I'm not saying there isn't over overlays between the two. I'm not or the the two between the six or seven I listed. I'm I'm saying that there are different places which may strike your interest in a better fashion. Sometimes you're in a place where there isn't a lot of people and you get a very broad, um, a very broad education, which actually is a really nice thing, especially when it's a little slow in the organization and you could sit down and do things like go through the SIM logs and actually see what's happening in the organization where you're not responding to 1800 different things at one time, trying to deliver why we're, um, you know, what's happening, what's going on. Sometimes you have that, that, that to see how data flows, what's going on and where it's going. Um, but protecting data and infiltration and, or finding out the root cause are different, different methodologies of getting to a, a eventually, a, hopefully a better security posture. Um, and so when you look at it, yeah, I think you need to pick your poison. But eventually you should try to get like kind of get at least exposure to many of those different levels and those different locations because that really helps people understand the overall, especially if you want to move to a different you know level. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's helpful. Is there anything that you would like to add other than what we've talked about, Angelo? You know, when you look at things here, I see challenges for CISOs coming up. One of those things is data privacy is creeping into our roles. You know, that's that's becoming part of it. So, you know, when I mentioned before, working with legal, getting in front of legal to make sure they understand the implications of adding adding uh, products and services to our portfolio so that we can, that people can do their business well, but also understand that we have to keep things in check. But that really brings apart, you know, understanding how the business works, how we procure things, what we do. So the supply chain becomes very important. One of those things I'd like to take into account is, you know, CISO's roles have changed. You know, if you look at solar winds, you know, that was the first uh, place where I believe the CISO was issued a Wells notice by the SAC, SEC. So if you start looking at that going, wait a second, we're now targets outside that firm. We need to have a different view of what we do from the point of view of delivering this. And so we need to understand where our data is, what's going on. And so that data privacy piece, yeah, it's going to become much more of an effective issue in our lives. Um, 
and and it expands beyond just our you know our our infrastructures are not generally a single location anymore not generally a server in a given data center anymore there you know we got data flying all over the world apis to ais to uh cloud infrastructure to you know third party uh you know you know processing we need to be effectively understanding what's going on with our data where is it at who has access to it and what's going on because that's the only way we're going to get to a good place and the best way to start going down that road is to establish you know what your information security structure is goals and framework that you're going to measure yourself by and go forth but one last point my favorite quote that i've heard and this probably obviates everything I just said, is complexity is the enemy of security. And I believe it was Bruce Schneer, but also uh, uh, Mr. Schmidt, I think, also may have made that quote as well. But the, the principle there is if you can't explain it really in the end and, and in, a, in a way that people can understand outside the industry, then, you, and then is it really security or are you just putting a bunch of walls up that you that – your hope protect you. You know, you should be able to understand what you're doing and be able to articulate it and be able to show like measured response to what's going on. Makes sense. Fantastic. Well, I'm so appreciated having you, you know, your overview of the topics we discussed have been enormously insightful and very diverse as you are. Oh, thank you with your background and experience and how you've evolved and how you've adjusted to a lot of the things that you discussed today, which, uh, you know, more people have to be able to do that and have that flexibility and that adaptability as well. So thank you so much um, for contributing to all of us. Thank you, Liz. You've been listening to Breaking Cyber Barriers, hosted by myself, Liz Paginas, and uh, listening to Angela Longo, Watch for our upcoming podcasts. And until then, thank you for listening.